Okay, great. Well, uh, it's a real honor and pleasure to be here. I've had so much fun during my visit today, and tomorrow I'm. Can you hear me? All right. All right. <laughs> Probably more than all right. Um, I am going to have the honor of getting to go to the Wright Patterson Air Force Base kennel. These uh, these are the people of the kennel, the four-legged and two-legged personnel there. And I was actually in touch with one of the handlers there a few months ago about my book. And I, when I found out that I was coming here, I wrote actually wrote him just a couple of weeks ago. And and he I guess he lets some other folks know. And you guys are coming. And I have a huge pleasure. It's a huge treat for me because we have two handlers and the kennel master. We have Tech Sergeant George Fries, who is the kennel master there. He's here with us tonight. And uh, we have Staff Sergeant Joshua Mason and Military Working Dog Ruth over here. And down at the end here, we have Staff, we have, yeah, Staff Sergeant Kieran Gibson and Military Working Dog Duco. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask uh, Sergeant Gibson and Ruth if, if you think she's okay with it to come up on the stage uh, to to be. Uh, is she? Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> Just to sit here and so you could have a real, it's really exciting for me to actually have a real live military working dog on the stage with me. And so you can see what these dogs do and know that she is, she's, she's sniffing for bombs right now probably. Uh, <laughs> these guys are, are deploying soon actually together. Uh, they're, they're heading out next week for training and so they're, they're facing a lot and wish you best of luck. But yeah, she, and if it's too much, you can, but if she's, if she's good here, if you need to take her for a walk, but I thought it'd be fun. And then if you have questions that these guys may be able to address better than I can, please feel free to write them down as well. <laughs> they say never to share a stage with an animal. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I'm really happy to be here. And this is my book, Soldier Dogs. I feel like being here, I should be calling it Airmen Dogs, but it's, it's, these are, this is the dog in Goggles is an Air Force dog, actually. And I got interested in this subject when I was a kid. My dad was a young soldier in World War II, and he was sort of homesick, and every day there was a dog. He said the dogs would save lives during the day, and at night they would save souls by just being there to hug at the end of the day. And it was really great for him. And I grew up with that sort of military dog mythology in me, and I became... I was telling these guys today, a little bit of a military dog geek. Growing up, I would get any history books that had anything about them. And I figured everybody knew that there were dogs in the military, but I was wrong because when the Bin Laden raid happened last year, media went crazy. You read stories about these dogs, and they didn't—they—they they didn't get a lot of information correct. The dogs—the dog that was part of that mission, there was a dog on that mission, and his name was Cairo, and he's a Belgian Malinois. That much we know. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he was portrayed as this dog who jumps out of all kinds of aircraft or maybe hangs, did you see the dog up there? That's a Navy SEALs operation. He was a Navy SEALs dog, obviously. This kind of stuff was portrayed. They said that they, the vets had pulled his teeth and replaced them with titanium teeth. Yeah, no self-respecting dog or vet is gonna let that happen. Um, and so he apparently had all his real teeth. The, these, these dogs are really important, the ones you've seen in these slides. They are special, special operations, spec, special forces, uh, Navy SEALs dogs, and they do a lot of these incredible missions. But the dogs with their paws on the ground, they're the really, they're the ones doing the everyday work. That's so important right now in Afghanistan where 
bombs IEDs of the number one killer. And their noses, this dog's nose, is better than any technology out there. So Ruth is probably going to save some people. She's going to be walking point, I imagine, and out there uh, sniffing so that she will alert to an IED before anyone else can step on it, hopefully. And, and these dogs also work on the bases. You have some dogs here working the bases as well. Dogs are about 2,700 of them around the world. And they're doing all kinds of life-saving missions all the time. This, they do wear special equipment. Um, Cairo, the dog, was said to be wearing all kinds of crazy stuff, including uh, little doggles with night vision. Well, dogs can see pretty well at night, and what good would that do anyway? So it wasn't true. But I want to bring your attention to the kind of dog this is. This is a Belgian Malinois, which is what the dog Cairo was. And they're very important now in the fight. They're, they're, they're kind of like German Shepherds, a little more lean, a little more lithe, and a little just, they'll just go, go, go. And they don't, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't seem to think, think as much as uh, the, the German Shepherds will often think and maybe not quite believe that you say it's going to be safe or something. And the Malinois just go in there and work and work and work. So we're using them a lot. And uh, this is one of my favorite Malinois. This is Lex. This is, he looks so regal. He is just the most amazing dog. I have him in a few stories in my book. And my favorite is when he and his handler were deployed and they had to sleep in foxholes for a month in the rainy season and in Afghanistan. And it was brutal. But the first night that they did this, they pulled a tarp up and they shared this foxhole. And, and halfway through the night, the handler, a marine handler, got up. The dog wasn't there. And it was a really brutal area. And he looked, couldn't find the dog, looked on this side of the tarp. The dog was standing there just like this. He was standing there guarding over him in the pouring rain and the freezing cold, standing over his man. And he couldn't believe it. He got him back in. Two hours later, he woke up. Same thing. And it happened for a month, every night. He just said, when do you sleep, dog? And he never knew. But in return, he also put his life on the line. One time, enemy opened fire on him without even thinking. Their, their foxhole is half dug. He just, he just threw the dog down, covered him with his body. You just don't think there's that bomb that just is so incredibly deep. Not all military working dogs are really noble warriors like this, though. We have... <laughs> this is Lars. Little Lars thinks he's a big dog. He's an explosives-only dog. He's not patrol, means he doesn't necessarily go after the bad guy. He could. Uh, <laughs> he's, he, he has a Napoleon complex. He's obviously a Navy dog. I saw him when I was in Virginia. He is, uh, he was being lowered into, this is him. They often use shepherds and big dogs for inspecting submarines for things like narcotics or, or explosives, but this is a lot easier, right? And then it's not really that dignified to have to be lifted to what you're sniffing, but <laughs> he did it. He found the, 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 it was an exercise, obviously. He found the explosive, but it took him a while and he had to just be lifted from bunk to bunk. So that's a, an unusual as a Jack Russell Terrier, obviously, and he, he just has a huge attitude. Another unusual dog you may not think of as a military dog, that's a pit bull. It's used, these are sometimes used by the Army's TED program. It's the Tactical Explosives Detection Dog. And this guy was actually uh, taken from a shelter. His life was saved by that program. It's an Army program. It's a short-term program. It's not how the typical Department of Defense military working dog program goes. That This was a great exception. His name is Howard, by the way. <laughs> This is Sergeant Stubby, another great pit bull in military history. He, uh, he was a big military hero in World War I before we even had 
um, military dogs officially before we had a dog program. And he is now in the Smithsonian American History Museum. You can go see him 80-something years after he took his last breath. He has been preserved there, and he did a lot of really heroic things. He, he saved uh, people from gas attacks. He got a German infiltrator. He was heavily decorated, and he was a huge hero when he came home. In World War II, um, they did get the program going, and it was huge and wonderful, and people donated their pet dogs. That's how the U.S. got most of the dogs, is donations of their dogs, as probably a lot of you know. And um, unfortunately, in Vietnam, things, those dogs came back. They all came back, and the dogs who survived came back and became pets again in Vietnam. Um, it was not the case where most of the dogs, about 4,000 went over, and maybe 200 came back, and not because they were killed in action, but we just left the dogs behind. And uh, fortunately, we have learned from that 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 can't happen again. These dogs saved lives over there. They, they said that the dogs were too vicious the way they were trained. Those were sentry dogs, but there were also scout dogs that, that weren't too vicious. And then they said there were tropical diseases. Well, why, you know, they could have had a quarantine. So a lot of the handlers I talked to from Vietnam said they think about their dog every day, every day. And they just, you know, they have shadow boxes devoted to their dog. They have the leash. They just, they don't know what happened. Some do. But it's, it's really tragic, and I'm glad we learned because we have a great adoption program now. The dogs now have really good life after they serve. And after Ruth serves, maybe you'll end up with her, maybe someone here, uh, because you can adopt these dogs now, and it's great. And the handlers are usually the ones who fight for the dogs if they've served overseas with them. We'll talk a little about, more about that. Um, most of our dogs these days are procured from Europe. We have buy teams. The DOD has buy teams that go over a few times a year, and they get about 60 dogs at a time. And uh, there are all kinds of breeds, but it's mostly places for, like the Netherlands, Germany, uh, Slovakia, the Czech Republic. And uh, they've been breeding these dogs for a long time. They're, they're from police dog sports like KMPV or Schutzhund, if you've heard of those. And they're, uh, really, they're really very well bred there. And so we go and get these dogs. And one thing they look for is, which I find fascinating, is you know, they look at the, the breed and how they act. But they also look at how much a dog wants a ball. I bet Ruth likes the ball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said the word, the B word. Um, <laughs> so if you, if if I let's say she's uh, they're about two years old when the military procures them. They're kind of old for for that, but she they'll they'll give them a ball, and if that dog does not covet that ball with everything, if that dog does not guard that ball and want that ball and live for that ball. They'll pass them by because that ball is the paycheck. That ball is, is almost everything to that dog. They, they train on it. That's their reward. So if they don't want it, they don't get recruited. Um, these are U.S. puppies. We're, we have a great breeding program at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. And if any of you have friends or relatives within two hours of San Antonio, they can foster one of these dogs. They are so great, but they're also known as maligators, um, and especially when they're puppies, they're all mouths, so you really have to, you have to watch them. I, I want, see the legs of that person, I want that job. That's like, <laughs> and um, they just, they're just so cute. This is about the age, these guys are ready to go and be fostered, and you keep them till about seven months. I know, they're so cute. This is uh, our Air Force Tech Sergeant, Joe Null, and he's in charge of adoptions down there. So this is a dog that he had fostered from that age that you saw in the previous photo, and they really bonded. He trained that dog so well. You don't have to 
be a trainer. You just have to be someone who can take care of a dog. But he really trained this dog up really well. And I love that they look so much alike in this. Uh, <laughs> and clearly this dog is a Malinois, right? This is not a shepherd. But the way the dogs are bred, there's a lot of interbreeding over in Europe. They want to have certain characteristics with the various breeds. So if they want, say, a Malinois who might have a little more sturdiness of temperament or something, they may breed the Malinois with a shepherd. And then you get dogs who look like Ruth. This is Ruth, actually. Um, <laughs> and her, is that the penthouse of her travel crate? Or so? <laughs> so she's, yeah, she's, she seems to be a real combination. She is apparently listed as uh, a shepherd, right? And she's officially called a shepherd, but she really looks like a combination. And I like that they do get creative like that. Um, and again, she would probably do anything for, for a K-O-N-G. She doesn't know the word Kong, does she? Okay, good. Uh, oh. <laughs> Be really careful here. Um, these days, training is really great. It's very much carrot, not stick. It's, it's really changed. The Kong is king. That is a Kong for those of you who don't have dogs who don't know. It's a hard rubber ball. It looks kind of like a snowman. And they can use a ball as well, but Kongs are fun because they, they don't bounce true. They bounce like rabbit might or something. So that's, that's what it's all about for them. It's, it's their paycheck, and you'll see it everywhere. This dog, this in Yuma, Arizona, they have a great pre-deployment training there. It's really intense. And, but the dogs, that's what they, that's just what they're working for. Here we are with the Navy. And what's really interesting about the Kong is it's not just, it's not just what their reward is. It's what they get trained on. So let's say when Ruth was two years old, she's at Lackland. All the dogs that the DOD procures for uh, the main military working dog program go through Lackland Air Force Base. And similarly, all the, the handlers do as well. So she'd be in dog training school, and they would get her playing with a ball, and they would, they would have a little bit of a scent like ammonium nitrate or some kind of explosive scent there. She would just take a, she'd be going after that ball, but she'd take a little sniff of that as she's running around. And just when she does that little change of behavior, the trainer will throw the Kong right on the scent. And so it looks to the dog like, oh, I smelled that scent. And a Kong came out of it. And so that's the idea. They match the Kong with the scent. And so the dogs think that magically, wow, smell scent, Kong comes up. Eventually they extinguish that connection, but they always have the connection of Kong and the scent, of reward and the scent. But you're obviously not going to be throwing a Kong on an explosive when you're over in Afghanistan. So they do, they do train them out of that, but it's a great initial training. So you can see the importance of that. And the other part of the paycheck is the handler praise, the handler reward, the rapport they develop, and being told, good dog, and they don't just do it. In, and you don't, want to you don't want to do your praise, praise voice, do you? No, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm not going to do it either, but I'd say you probably go up a good octave or two, and you are so happy that that dog is so good and so smart, and you hear these guys with these deep voices, and suddenly they sound like girls, and, and the dog is so happy, and between that and getting a Kong, this dog is in heaven. This dog has paychecks extraordinary, and that rapport and that bond is something that they work on at Lackland right from the beginning. They, the handlers don't actually get matched up with their dogs at Lackland. This is training. This is a green handler. He's new. He's in handler school. This dog has been around the block. This dog has had a few handlers he's helped train. He's called a training aide. He didn't make it as a war dog, and so he's helping train him. And some of these, I saw some of this happening. You can actually see the dog almost thinking, okay, look, you know, give me my, I'll help you find the bomb. 
you know, you give me my Kong, we're square. I'll train you, you'll be fine. And you can see this going on in their heads. And they do, and, and, they, they, and they, they really bond with the dog that trains them or that they help with training. And it's hard for them to say goodbye at the end of that part of the training. But I love it, and I like that they really try to establish that. Here, though, this is also at Lackland. Does this look like a, a dog to you? No. This is, <laughs> this is an ammo can. They call it bucket. And this is called bucket training. Before they will let, do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Before, <laughs> before they'll let a handler take on a dog, they take on an ammo bucket for maybe a few days a week. And they have to do all kinds of things, just getting to work around the bucket because they don't want to take a chance with the dog. And they, they have to do all kinds of the leashing techniques and all, everything that you would do with the dog, you do with the bucket, including praise. And that's one of the most embarrassing parts is really praising your bucket. <laughs> and so the, the best praise though I heard, this is at Lackland, you probably recognize this, is um, these are trainers. These are full-time dog trainers at Lackland. They train all the dogs who come through there at this Air Force base. And th this guy particularly was amazing. Uh, I have a video of it, but it won't play on this right now. But uh, they, he found the bad guy behind, he kept finding the bad guys behind doors and they'd bring different guys in and they would all, you know, woo-woo, touchdown Texas and all this great stuff and the dogs would learn there. They learn right there. That, they, that is part of what they work for is that, is that praise and that high-pitched. And this is also, the, like, this is the biggest bone in the world. This is what the dog got after he found the bad guy in, in the room and that's his bite sleeve. So he'd bite him and then they'd give him the sleeve and that's a big reward. Anything in the mouth. This is cool. I'm just showing you this because there are military dogs all over the world used by all kinds of militaries. I don't know where this is. I tried to find out. But this is, this is an amazing feat. And this is definitely at least a part male, part, part male on one dog. They seem to thrive on ladders. Um, high five. I saw this. Uh, I went to the military working dog competition this spring after my book came out in Blackfoot. I love this dog. Actually, she's in my book. Her name is Davy. Um, there are girl dogs with boy names and boy dogs with girl names. Uh, they name them overseas. Some handlers think it's a joke that they're calling, there's one handler, a real tough guy, and he had a dog named Frida. And he'd be having to call Frida, and he said it was just wrong. But <laughs> the dog knows his name or her name, so they, they do that. They may look like, she's a sweetheart actually, but they may look like gentle teddy bears. Um, I saw some great bite work at Lackland. I've seen some great bite work all around. And uh, they're, they can be real teddy bears, but, but not, not if you're the bad guy or on the other end of this. That's a flying Malinois. <laughs> and uh, this is right here, military working dog Arco from these kennels, from Wright Pat kennels. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, when I drive up there tomorrow, I'm thinking, should I roll up the windows of my rental car? <laughs> uh, is Arco still around? Oh, he's deployed. Okay, wow. Well, I'm sure he's doing a good job. Um, yeah, and it, it's, like they should show this to guys who are going to, people who are going to get on the wrong side of the law. You know, if, they should show this. If you don't mess with someone with a police dog or a military working dog, because it's going to hurt. And thank goodness for bite suits, but sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> this is, <laughs> This is a faulty decoy. This is the decoy's fault. He did not do things well. And uh, yeah, this should not have been an option for this dog to do this. Uh, but it's great that he had the jacket, but it's, you wish he wore the pants. And you're going to be, as we were just talking outside, if you're going to be a military working dog handler, you're going to get hurt. And people have bites all over. You know, the older the handler, the more he's been in, the, the more she, the more the bites. And the, every bite has a story. And this guy had just fresh bit um, right when I was there at Lackland for, for this big competition. Um, 
And I, I wasn't really quite as aware of this when I was at Lackland last year for my research and someone asked me if I wanted to catch a dog. That's me. And that's the dog I caught. And I thought, and I read about it in the book. I won't tell you what happens. But as you see, she has a leash. So they didn't let her run at me. And she actually, um, I would later come to find out that when, okay, after my book came out, I got, a, I got an email from people saying, we have the dog who, who bit you, who was, was biting you. And I said, wow, why, why? Well, she was old. And I said, oh, really? I, I mean, I knew she was up there, but she was really old. And she, was, um, she has a, a steel rod in her leg. <laughs> and she has really bad arthritis. So, okay, they didn't sick the toughest dog in the world, but I still really felt it. And <laughs> this, is her, this is her now. She's a couch potato, very well-deserved. She never slept in a bed in her life. She has really lumpy joints. And she's really, really happy now. She's living with another Malinois. Great family in Texas, great couple and having the time of her life. So, yeah. And that brings up military working dog health concerns and issues. This is, uh, I just threw this slide in because I love, I love this dog. This is Rex. He is one of the Vietnam dogs who did come in. He came home. Uh, he went after the Viet Cong as, he was, as everyone was getting hurt, and he was a real hero. He almost lost his own life, and there was a lot of outcry, and that brought him back home. And that, what you see on his neck is actually a note from a little girl to him. He got so much fan mail. And so um, I thought this would be a good introduction to just a little bit about the health things. They, the dogs do get injured. They do get killed in action. About 50 dogs have died since uh, in the last 10 years, but um, some of that's been heat-related. They really have, the heat is tough out there. They're wearing fur coats, so I'll get, I'll get into that in a minute. But uh, dogs, okay, they come here from overseas. This is part of their induction. It's a little different than what the humans get in their induction. Every dog is anesthetized, and they have a tattoo in their ear. Sure, she has a nice tattoo in, in, in the ear. And, that's, um, and all female dogs are spayed. All dogs over 35 pounds get surgery called a gastropexy, which um, I find fascinating. Do you know what bloat is? It's, it's a it can be deadly. And the stomach will fill with gas. And if it twists, if there's torsion, then the dog can die and often does die. And 9% of military working dog losses before were from complications of bloat and now none because they all get this and I watched I was having lunch um, during this time so I was watching these surgeries um, over lunch and I just found it fascinating you don't even see much it's just all very good this guy Dr. Ronnie and I he's done about 400 of these operations they just turn them out and they, this is so life-saving this is the dog afterward this is, <laughs> this is the military's version of an Elizabethan collar I guess and they keep them that, in that from so they don't bite their stitches out and they're, they're in there for a good seven days after their surgery I was talking about the heat. This is Gunnery Sergeant Chris Knight, and he's in my book. He figures very prominently in my book. He's a great character. Um, and the biggest, one of the biggest and deadliest parts of being over there is wearing a fur coat over in 110, 120 degree weather. It's really tough. And this is the Yuma Proving Ground, Yuma, Arizona. They call it Afghanistan, USA, because they have, they do mock buildings. They do, as you see, you know, all the, they have billboards. They have it so much like it, and they have got the heat. And so you really feel like you're there. You're, you're, uh, pre you're in this pre-deployment. I think um, Tech Sergeant Fries, you were there before. It's really, it's amazing, amazing training. And, uh, well, here's Gunny Knight. He's doing his own heat distress treatment here. But they learn, the handlers really learn uh, how their dogs handle the heat and what to watch out for. And they get a lot of first aid 
This was really interesting. I was, I was at Yuma, and it was 110 degrees, and I was watching this, mili- this, he's an Air Force handler, actually, and his dog, Tina, do their thing, and suddenly one of the instructors said, your dog's been shot, your dog's down, and it happened so fast, and he just, you know, immediately scooped up his dog, put him on his shoulder, watching out for the enemy as he's trying to find shelter. It was so realistic. I talked to him later, and he said it was just like he was in Afghanistan. He said he knew he wasn't going to be killed, but the, the, the blood was flowing, and, and he was, the adrenaline was going, and he felt like Tina was in danger. So when I reached them, when I caught up with them, they were in this little, they have to go to this little shelter area, and you know, I was a little alarmed when I, when I first walked in because the dog was over there and her leg is over there. And I thought, oh my God, what happened? Something weird. And so then I noticed that the dog had all four of her legs. And this was just, this is part of their training. They learn how to do the IVs. They give them IV fluids, whatever they need. They have to, they're the, they're the medics. They're, they're the ones out there when they're on missions. There's often no one else. So they have to learn what to do. But on a less serious note, uh, even at war, it's important for dogs. Dogs get their teeth brushed, and, and they, they brush them when possible on deployment. And uh, this is really a cute dog. He's in my book, too. This is Ajax. He, he, Ajax brushed his teeth every few days. Well, his handler brushed his teeth. Um, this is a dog. Uh, this is a great dog. She's also in my book, Fenji. I'm not going to tell you what happened with her. She's there beginning, middle, and end. She's okay. But uh, she, she came back, and she has an eye condition called Panis, and she has to wear doggles, and she hates them. She really hates them. She was rubbing up against her handler. I didn't know. I just thought she was really affectionate, but she was just rubbing it, trying to get them off. So a lot of military dogs, you will see with doggles, not a lot, but there are a number, and they protect their eyes, and sometimes their sunglasses. Sometimes they're just going to protect them from the sand and wind. And just back on a medical note, um, the state of the art equipment is available to these dogs now. If a dog, if at your base, wherever you are, can't handle, if your vet can't handle whatever's going on, they'll send them to Lackland Air Force Base. And they've got an incredible, the uh, Daniel Holland Military Working Dog Hospital. It's got state of the art everything. It's a, C- a CT scanner. This dog was going in because he had uh, a foot problem. And uh, here, I was, I was going in this hospital, I was going around, I thought, oh, that's really neat. They do human surgeries here too. But this was a dog with an ankle issue, and they were taking care of that. They actually, when you go to adopt a dog, the dog will be t- treated as well as possible. The dog, if the dog has an ankle problem, this dog was actually going to be adopted out, and they wanted to fix the dog as well as possible before they sent him out. So they were doing surgery on this dog. They weren't even going to keep anymore, which is great. Uh, not all wounds are visible on the outside. This is Buck. I met him while I was at Lackland Air Force Base Adoption Kennels, and he was curled up in a ball, just staring out into nothingness. All the other dogs and Malinois and the Shepherds and the Labs were, were barking and twirling and doing all those things they normally do in kennels, but Buck was just really, he wasn't there. His body was there, but that was it. And I said, what's, what's going on? And he said, yeah, he's got PTSD. The military just recognized PTSD for the first time uh, last year, last January, and said this is something, in dogs, I should say, this is something that we really need to watch. So canine PTSD has been recognized. It is being researched, treated. Uh, about 50% of the dogs who are diagnosed with it will be retired, will be adopted out because they can't be fixed. The other 50%, there are drug therapies, there's behavioral therapy. They try. They're really trying. And some can go back and serve. But um, Buck... I was happy to find out the next day was going to be adopted by this very wonderful couple. And when I went back to Lackland earlier this year, because they're in San Antonio, I visited him. And he has a very happy ending. He's got a great life now. And they, they bought him a... He wasn't coming out of a shell. He was really scared. So they bought him a puppy. They didn't buy him. They adopted him a puppy. 
and that really helped bring out the puppy in him. He'd never really had a puppyhood. He still has fear. He was just very cautious, and that's not very lab. And so when I first met him, he was very standoffish. And then I, I, I wish I could show you this video. He's gleefully running around. He's so happy now, and I'm really glad to see that the military has recognized canine PTSD and uh, what that's all about. Came to him. They're not exactly sure how he got it, but yeah, this is it. There are a lot of dogs, uh, war, war dogs out there, and they have different jobs. Uh, this is not one of them, usually. <laughs> but the handlers have to have some fun sometimes. So usually they're going to be out there uh, sniffing out bombs. And uh, you know, there's no, this guy, his, his dog was definitely going to sniff out something before his equipment was. Uh, this is a marine handler. And, uh, the, and you know, besides that, the dog is a lot more comforting at the end of the day than a, a minesweeper is. The dogs are together with their handlers on deployment almost 24-7, sometimes 24-7, and they're, say, they stay by your side in firefights. There's a dog that I write about, Patrick, who is so calm during firefights that he would just lie there eating grass while there's this craziness going on. And sadly, Patrick, um, he saved lives, but he didn't make it home uh, because of his final life-saving mission, but I won't talk about that now. Uh, Another. This is this is Lex, that the uh, iconic dog, the fire, the uh, the just the dog I, I will probably keep coming back to, foxhole dog, and he's just he, again sitting here. There's a lot of stuff going on. He's sitting there with crossed paws, but they're together all the time. They um, yeah, they're at your side. The bonds are huge. Yeah, it's like you've deployed with the dog before. It's, I, what I've heard is that there's nothing like the the bond between a dog and a handler. There's you can think of it, I love my dog. I feel like I'm incredibly bonded with him. But when you're there in war 24-7, your life depends on your dog and so do so many other lives. And your dog depends on you. There's just something that happens. That, and this dog, this dog, um, this is the, uh, the, on the left is the EOD tech, the Explosive Ordnance Disposal tech. And he's in my book uh, for one of the stories. And he got really attached to a couple of dogs. So it's not just handler dog, but it's the other people who are out there who, who feel a real bond with the handler. The dogs go on missions everywhere. This is a huge shepherd. Uh, this is military working dog Bleck. He is, or he was, an Air Force dog. He's now retired and living with his handler, uh, Brent Olson. He, uh, they were both injured in Afghanistan, and uh, Brent Olson got a Purple Heart, and Bleck got nothing because the military still officially looks at the dogs as equipment. And uh, so, and we can talk, well, there's, there's a bill that passed through Congress, and it's called the Canine Members of the Armed Forces Act, and I'm happy to report they passed it, and it's in the Senate now. Um, wait, strike that, reverse that. Uh, it's in Congress now, and it's been a while. We're still waiting to find out what happens, and then someone has to sign it into law. But one of the things that we'll do is give official recognition. When you hear about a dog getting a Purple Heart or Silver Star, it's because someone, just a CO, decided, oh, this dog, this would be a nice thing to do. But it's not officially sanctioned by the Department of Defense. There is nothing official. And, you know, Ruth, oh, look at her cross paws. Ruth does not uh, care about this piece of paper, but it, it's just, it feels so good to the handler to know that their dog got recognized. And, and, and it's good for the kennel, and it dumps down the leash back to the dog. And, and it's, it's definitely something important. And it's good PR as well, of course. But um, this is them when they were on the mission, and this is something else. This is after they were injured. Uh, I believe this was in Germany, the hospital. So Bleck visited his handler there. There's a, a lot of talk about dogs are left behind. 
So, um, you know, we just leave the dogs behind wherever we are. No, dogs come back. Dogs come back. This, uh, if the handler is injured, the dog will sometimes go with the handler and eventually end up at the same place, or the dog will come home to the home base while the handler comes home. And same if the, uh, this is military working dog, Laika. I just had her on my Facebook page last week. She, she got shot up by the bad guys. She lost, she was, during this, this terrorism attack, this terrorist attack, she was just fighting off the enemy and just getting shot and she kept going. And so her handler would not just stay there and wait to get a mail order of another dog. He came back and he would be with her. Now she's ready to be adopted out. She's at Lackland Air Force Base. And I don't know if it's happened yet, but her, her handler is special forces and um, he was waiting to, he was going to come and, and adopt her. But meanwhile, while she was there, I love this, the, um, the guys there, including Tech Sergeant Null, who's in, in charge of adoption, came up with, I think, the closest officially um, that it's gotten for, for a, an award for a dog. And I love this. And they're hoping that this may become a prototype if this legislation is passed, or even if it's not. I think they're going to keep doing things like this because they know how important it is. And I like that they really specialize, they really tailored it to what that dog did. So I'm hoping that there will be more of that in the future. Um, war may be hell, but uh, it's, it can be pretty nice for the dogs too because instead of being at the kennel most of the time on, on, on your base, they're with their handler, they're sharing bunks. This dog, this is a great dog, this is uh, Rex, and he's, he is, uh, yeah, he's, he's just amazing. He was a real softy, and his handler actually got him uh, a giraffe-shaped bed when she was in Iraq, and she ordered it, mail order, and it came in, so he, he had that. Um, this, you, you help them, they help you. Uh, has anyone heard of the American Humane Association Hero Dog Awards? That's coming up. If you can go look up Hero Dog Awards and vote for this dog, uh, he represents the military working dog category. We'd love to see a military dog win the Hero Dog Awards this year. It's a pretty big deal. This is Chuck Shuck, his handler, and he would give Gabe, this is Gabe, the dog you want to vote for, a hug before every mission because he never knew if it was going to be their last mission for one or the other. And it just goes to that, that bond that they're not machines, they're not equipment, they're best friends over there, canine members of the armed forces, and we hope that'll pass. Uh, there comes a time when separation has to happen. Uh, bond has to be broken sometimes, um, sometimes by switching handlers. Unfortunately, sometimes the handlers don't make it. This handler was killed uh, while he was helping load someone who was injured into a helicopter, and he was shot in the back of the head. And uh, so he has a little one-and-a-half-year-old girl who uh, will be missing her dad. And this dog also, I've heard, is missing, was at the time missing, the handler, um, and this is the the dogs do. This is I love that this picture is tough. They, I've I've talked to handlers who give up their dogs, and they still get misty, uh, you know, a couple years later to thinking about that one super special dog. But it's a logistical thing where sometimes the dogs have to go when the handlers can't, and so they can't be matched up all the time. Uh, another thing, the the parting. When their time comes. Um, the, when the dog dies, it doesn't have, the dog doesn't have to die in action, but their ceremonies to memorialize them are really incredibly touching. The military working dog ashes here were, were buried under a, an oak tree with the other military working dogs. They were playing taps. There was a gun salute, and inside afterward, Amazing Grace was played on a bagpipe, and the handler rang the bell three times, and there was a slide. It was extremely heartbreaking. I, I watched the, the video, and I think you had... 
a similar ceremony here earlier. Who was the dog who? Nissen, right, right. And you have, there's a video, I'd love to, I'll try to get that on my website, of, of Nissen's memorial. Um, it's really heartbreaking. They, they leave the kennel door open to signify the dog won't need the kennel anymore. They put up the leash and the halter harness. They can overturn or put up the water bowls. Uh, the dog won't be needing them anymore. Uh, they deserve every honor that, that they can get. They're really incredible dogs. The teams, the military working dog teams, the human part and the dog part. Uh, there are people, there are some really good groups out there. Uh, there's a memorial, a national memorial that's hoping, we're hoping comes through. There's one that's going to be at Lackland Air Force Base. It would be nice to have one closer to Washington, D.C., where it's open to the public. They've been working on that for a long time, but it's hard to get a monument in Washington, D.C. But there are a lot of smaller memorials. This one is in Riverside, California. Um, there's some good support groups out there. And this is my dog, Jake. And earlier this year, we got together a little care package. This is stuff that they recommended from, from uh, the, it was U.S. Uh, War Dogs Association, and we sent over our own care package, and among that was the uh, Soldier Dogs, my book. And I was happy to hear that the handler got a hold of the book before his dog did, because this is a really strange thing going on with my book, where uh, dogs seem really attracted to it. And this, I see, this is a library book, not good. And <laughs> I like to think that the dogs are saying that Soldier Dogs uh, is a, a very meaty book that you can sink your teeth into. But <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. And it's not the only book out there. Um, Mike Lemish, if you're interested in military working dog history, he's done some great books um, on, on these dogs. And Nicole Arbello has a lovely book called Canine Heroes. And she has a great website. If you go to uh, Facebook, actually, page, if you go to Facebook and look up K9, K9 Heroes, she's got some really great pictures all the time. And if you would like to like my page, Facebook page, Soldier Dogs, I'm updating it as well all the time. So I'm really honored to be able to tell about these dogs and handlers and uh, help spread the word about the two-legged and four-legged heroes. And 